Okay, this morning I got up early. That's no special grace on my part. It's because I get an hour extra coming to coming to England. You see, so six o'clock is seven o'clock for me. Anyway, I got up and I uh, I put on my running shoes and I ran up to Little Paxton Cemetery. You know, it's on the way to the Fords to Hale Weston, and uh, I was running up and I. I stopped in front of a gravestone, which is actually my dad's gravestone. And I thought, oh, well, it's Father's Day. You know, I'm going to just honour the memory of my father, my dad. And as I was up there, I, uh, I sort of, you know, it, it, a lot, on a lot of the stones, it says in loving memory. And I thought, well, you know, that is something that we can all have, you know, loving memories. And, um, you know, sometimes the memories... I don't know what you think fathers and stuff <laughs> might not be always loving. You know, there are challenges in life. But in Jesus Christ, we can know a healing and a blessing of grace on our lives that can fill us with healing and loving memories. And as, as I was up there, I was, uh, I was taken to think back to, um, to another cemetery, which was in Cardiff, in Ely. And... Uh, my dad, when he was 14 years old, he, he buried his parents, unfortunately. And he was whisked off to a Bernardo's home in London. And, uh, you know, from one day to the next, there were seven children, and they were all split up, and they, they never got in contact again. You know, it was real, real devastation, total devastation on his life. 14, and from the Ely Cemetery, you go off to Bernardo's home in East London, and you're a Welsh boy, but you become a Londoner. <laughs> and he had to cope with that at 14. And uh, I remember him saying to me, he said, um, you know, when I, when I was at that Bernardo's home on that day, I didn't have anything except a uniform that they gave me. But he said, I, I was so thirsty for friendship and relationship and love, and uh, I was so thirsty to have meaning in my life again. And I think we could all relate to that. You know, that in our lives, we don't want to be lonely. We don't want to be devastated by suffering and everything broken. And we just long to be loved. We long to be loved, and there is a deep thirst in us to be loved and to have healthy relationships. And then we want to have meaning, <laughs> You know, don't want to count, Lord. Even if it's ever such a little bit, please make me count. And I think we're all thirsty to want to have meaning. And here was this 14-year-old boy, lost everything, thirsty for love and meaning. And so he prayed. And often a thirst in us can spur us on to pray. And, you know, I know many people who pray and they don't fully know the Lord Jesus. But they're just praying out of desperation and thirst. And I think even atheists sometimes pray when you know, there's a problem. <laughs> and uh, all sorts of prayers rise up. And I think my dad was like that. He didn't really know the Lord at that time. But he prayed and he said, Lord, with the faith he had, where he was at, Lord, out of that thirst, <laughs> out of that existential need, he prayed, Lord, Will you give me twin boys when I grow up? Now, I have never, ever heard any other 14-year-old pray a prayer like that. 
you know, can I have a new Apple iPhone or whatever? But, you know, never, can I have twin boys? Anyway, years went by. That was probably about 80 years ago. And then, I don't know, many, when he was about 29, you know, he'd done the army, done his apprenticeship and with Eastern Electricity, and he, he, he met this lovely lady, and they got married. And in um, 1958, his wife, in the maternity home in Welling Garden City, gave birth to twin boys. Isn't that amazing? You know, isn't that amazing? And yet, those boys were only like seven and a half months when they were born. They were premature. And at the time, they didn't have, like, incubator in the place. So they despaired of those two boys living. They just said, you know, they despaired of them. And they quickly, because it was quite a... I don't know, at that time, you know, people were quite religious and stuff. So they said, quick, get a, get a vicar in or a priest and, you know, high Anglican, and we can, we can get them fitted for heaven. You know, we've got to somehow give them, get them christened. So... Uh, they brought in this vicar and he put water on us or whatever. And I can't remember exactly what happened. But um, <laughs> I think we were fitted for heaven, but not for life, really. And then my dad came in because he was working. And, you know, he told me this. And, he, you know, I'm remembering this as I'm up on, you know, this Hale Western. And, um, and he said, you know, I rushed in and I, did, I was panicking and I didn't know what had happened. And a nurse... There was no one there, so I went into this room, and there were two little babies, really minuscule, on a, on, a, uh, on, a, on a towel. And they were just left there to die. And this, this nurse came in and said, what are you doing here? She said, oh, I'm looking for my twin boys. Where are they? Oh, they're there. Oh, there's no hope for them. And um, don't worry, the, the vicar's been. And <laughs> you know, they'll be all right when they get to heaven, sort of thing. And, and I that wasn't very satisfying. And this thirst again in my dad, welling up, this desperate need. What did he do again? Well, he resorted to prayer again. And as a simple man, he said, I took hold of your little left arm and I took hold of your, your brother's little right arm. And I, I just prayed there in the hospital. And I said, let them live. And then he said, I went home and I lay for three days and three nights on the floor in total suffering. Because, you know, my life was terrible. You know, I've had a terrible life. I've lost everything. And the one thing I want, one thing I've prayed for, it looks like that's being taken away. So I went into that suffering. This is an ordinary man. You know, no theology, no nothing. Just said, And he said, I went deep into my suffering. I went deep and deep and deep and deep. And he said, and then I hit rock bottom. And he said, at rock bottom, there was a heart with me. And that heart, I think, he said, was the heart of Jesus. And he was with me. And I spoke to him. And I said, God, give me the life of my twin boys. And if you give them to me, you can have them when they're old enough to look after themselves. And he said, after three days, I got up. And we didn't die in the hospital, right? <laughs> no, no, it's a bit tragic, but, you know, it's... And, and after, you know, I started to breathe again, and my brother started to eat. And we survived. You know, we survived. But my dad never told me that story, right? He never told me that. 
And so years went by, and I grew up in Little Paxton. And when I grew up, there were no houses. There were just cows at the bottom of my garden. Park Close was the only park, with Park Crescent and Park Avenue and the pub and the anchor and all that. But there was nothing. No one lived in Little Paxton. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and suddenly, you know, I could, the houses started to get built, and I would play on the scaffolding. It was great, great playground. When there wasn't health and safety, you know, you could do great stuff. And um, anyway, I grew up and I went to Longsand School and I, I didn't know anything about Jesus. There was obviously a sense, like most people, a sense, well, I sort of believe in God, you know, is there. And, but it didn't make any difference on my life. My parents didn't talk to me about God, even though my dad must have been grateful. <laughs> Hope so. And, um, and then I, I went off, did my stuff, went off to university and then... Out of the blue, I was living in London, out of the blue, I got zapped with God. You know, just, just convicted of sin. What's this? I feel guilty for stuff. My conscience is telling me this is wrong. Now, obviously, before that deep biting of conscience, I had found a Bible, started reading the Bible. The word had start, started to soften me up. And, uh, you know, I even went to a... My brother had phoned me up and said, Rob, he said, I'm so depressed, he said. He said, I went up into my room. I was thinking of killing myself. But I thought, well, I'll give God a try. <laughs> he said, I prayed. And he said, wow. He said, God, God, I met God. He said, I received Jesus. He said, I'm going to a church now. And he said, you need it. So, I, you know, long story, he invites me to evangelistic thing. Put my hand up. <laughs> and I knew that Jesus was calling me. Anyway. Both me and my brother get saved in 1982. Okay, so I, I then go and see my dad and say, oh, you know, we're not going to be dentists. We're not going to be teachers. You know, your plans, you know, for us, we're studying. But my, my, my brother went straight away to work for a, a group of churches called Ichthus Christian Fellowship at the time, a guy called Roger Forster, good, good old Bible teaching from the brethren. And... Uh, and I got called to go to, to Horizons in Wales, where it all began with my dad in Wales. I went back, not to Cardiff, but to Hrenetli. And I, I got sorted out there. I was rough and ready, but I, I got disciplined and discipled and trained up in God's word. And, um, and then sent out to France. But you see, we were both going to serve God. And when I said to my dad that, I can always remember, I'm, I'm still in Hale Western, by the way, remembering and all this. And, uh, and he said to me, I thought God had forgotten. I thought God had forgotten. And he told me the whole story. And I said, well, you know, God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget the promises and the prayers we make. You know, there is power in prayer. But somehow we can pray out of thirst. And yet we've still got to own that and go another step. Go another step. Go another step. And just to round off the story, right, this is amazing, is that my kids were all born in France, right? I got a two, two sons and two daughters. And one of my daughters is called Deborah. And, uh, you know, she's gone done all sorts of things. But she's ended up living in Cardiff, right? And she's ended up getting married to a Scottish-Italian guy, if you can imagine what that looks like. You know, Italian with red hair, you know, amazing. And... Uh, and they, they, she's pregnant, okay? And she should have given birth on the, on the 15th. So it's the 19th today, so she's a bit overdue. 
And we'll probably go down to Cardiff following our, our time here. So it's amazing, isn't it? Another from the devastation of Cardiff and things going full circle. And there's another little baby going to be born in Cardiff. And I, I just pray that that will be a, a very redemptive thing. And so, you know, I want to honor today all the fathers who pray. Okay? Because fathers who pray are good fathers. And, um, but you, you have to do more than pray, right? Because as I said, many people can pray. You pray out of thirst. And the verse that we've been looking at, you know, Jesus at that Feast of Tabernacles, coming to people, and, you know, he says in a loud voice, <laughs> he proclaimed in a loud voice. You know, Jesus was quite gentle most of the time, and, you know, he didn't force him away. But here he says in a loud voice, this is important. Is anybody thirsty? Do you want meaning? Do you want love? What are you thirsty for? What are you seeking? And he says, if anyone's thirsty, you know, there's one solution. <laughs> there's one solution. And your thirst may have pushed you to pray, right? And some people just pray and say, do this for me, God. <laughs> you know, do this for me. As if we're giving orders to God, but you don't come to God like that, giving him orders. You know, you may want to start there, but I tell you, you're not going to finish well if you think you're commanding God. And then you want to blame him if he doesn't answer your prayer. And you say, why didn't this work out? Work for him. Why not me? It doesn't work like that. Jesus says, okay, you're thirsty. What are you thirsty for? But he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is the only person who satisfies. A relationship with Jesus Christ is the only relationship that satisfies. Come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And so just three words today. Come, drink, and flow. Okay. Come, drink, and flow. Okay. As I said, when you come to Jesus, Okay, you don't come to give orders to Jesus. And even if you're thirsty, right? Okay, you're starting with this thirst. Lord, you're the one who gives me, gives me meaning, gives me life. It's a free drink, as we, as we heard from Isaiah. I come to Jesus, but I come on bended knee. I come trembling. I come to Jesus in repentance. I come to think differently. I come to, to seek his forgiveness. I come to, to change the, 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 the whole perspective of my life. I'm willing to come on bended knee to Jesus. And so when Jesus says come, you know, let's come to him on his terms, not on our terms. And my dad said that to me. When he, in 1982, because <laughs> he said, oh, he said, I thought I was making terms with God that I was saying, give me the life of my boys, then you can have them. And, and when it became a reality that he was going to lose all his sort of vicarious glory in his sons, and they were going to abandon all the, the dreams that he had for them, because God had greater dreams, he, he was 
happy that we were alive. But there have been many challenges on the way where the, the obedience to Christ has not always been easy for the flesh. Okay. And yes, come to Jesus. He will, he will save you. He will forgive you. But he wants you to come to him in obedience as well. Okay, we come to Jesus in obedience, and we come to Jesus because we're willing to change our lives as well. So come, come. And then he says, drink. Come and drink. And you know, drinking, now obviously, you know, you've been thirsty, biologically thirsty. You know, I sometimes wake up in the middle of the night, four o'clock in the morning, I'm so thirsty. And, uh, you know, if I run or if you work hard in the garden, you start sweating and you're thirsty. And, you know, in those, that's obviously physical thirst. But it's obvious here Jesus is talking about that soul thirst, that spiritual thirst, as he said to the Samaritan woman. You know, if you drink of the water I give you, you will never thirst again. This is more than just for the body. This is for your soul. Do you have a soul thirst? And every human being has a soul thirst. We're thirsty. And what are you feeding your soul with? Are you drinking the person of Jesus? Because he will satisfy. He's the only person who can satisfy your soul's thirst. Come to me and drink. Now, when you drink water, you have to swallow. It's a choice. It's an active, you know, taking hold of the water and drinking it. And when you come to Jesus, you have to open your soul and receive him. It's not just facts. I know that, you know, apologetics are useful. But, you, you know, you have to, with your soul, if you imagine your soul has got a mouth, you've got to open your, the mouth of your soul and swallow and have a real experience of Jesus Christ being your Lord and reigning in your life. You know, when you pray, it's not just getting God to do stuff. It's coming into relationship with him. Father, you know, may your will be done. Obedience, lordship. May your kingdom come. You be my king. You reign over me, not selfishness anymore. Not my way. I'm willing to obey you, Lord. And then drinking deep of his presence in his word. Drinking deep in fellowship, in in church and service. Drinking deep in moments of seeing Christ's glory expressed in his wonderful creation. And expressed in the beauty of fellowship and men and women who he puts around us. But drinking deep of Christ. So whoever, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Come and drink. And you know, at the Feast of Tabernacles... Now, it was the time that was talking about when, when Israel lived in tents in the desert. <laughs> they must have known thirst <laughs> in the desert, going through life. And they celebrated this. And uh, they would have great processions. And they would walk up to the temple. And they would carry water in a golden jar. And they would pour it out at the temple. And on the last day, they'd pour even more water out. On the temple, and they would they would uh, quote from uh, from Isaiah twelve three. You know, you will you will draw water with joy from the wells of salvation. You know, and yet that was all outside. And Jesus wants to put a well of salvation 
into you, into your heart. It's not just one quick drink, but he, Jesus says, I want to live in you. And I want to open up a well of life in you. And it will be me in you through the Holy Spirit. And I will give you a well of life. And you can have joy drawing every day the joy of life. Much more than just some procession. Much more than, than a religious festival. But a living relationship with Jesus. Drawing joy into every Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, etc. And uh, so come to me and drink. And then he says, whoever believes in me. And you know, believing in Jesus isn't just knowing stuff with your brain. It isn't just knowing facts. Oh, Jesus died for my sins on the cross. Jesus is resurrected. You know, wonderful truths. But to be sort of said in awe and experience, <laughs> forgiveness, glory. And uh, John Piper, he, he says this, he says, So be done forever with the sad notion that saving faith, that believing on Jesus is a mere decision to believe facts. No, it is a coming to him as a feast, a treasure, a banquet, a spring in the desert when we are dying of thirst. And so coming to Jesus isn't just believing on facts. If you, it's believe him, come to him, drink deep. And that is, that is what faith is. It's that humble coming and it's that humble drinking. And that is the believing on him. And he goes on. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him and by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive up to that time the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified and you see when you you take this this living water you are getting Jesus and Jesus satisfies Jesus satisfies but it's it's the Holy Spirit you know Jesus isn't walking around with a beard in, in the flesh amongst us now, but he is, he is with us in spirit. And you see, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. And many people, you know, they, especially you know, when I've been to, uh, you know, to Asia and other, other continents, they, they, they often want the Holy Spirit to be just power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And, and that's great, power. Yeah, I want power, power of love especially. But it's, uh, it can twist something if you only see the Holy Spirit as power. The Holy Spirit is personality. The Holy Spirit puts the personality and the person of Jesus into your heart. He engraves Jesus into your heart. You receive the, the personality, you call that the fruit of the Spirit, the love of Jesus into your heart. You know, have you received the personality of Christ in your life? Now, you, you could answer that yourself, but you could ask your wife or your husband or your kids, you know, people who you work with. You know, have I received the, that miraculous transformation of my being? And so he was talking about the Holy Spirit. 
And it says that Jesus had not yet been glorified, so the Spirit couldn't yet be given. But now, Jesus has been glorified. How was he glorified? Well, you know, when he was talking in John 12 about the seed going into the ground, you know, and he said, oh, you know, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. The cross was looming. Shall I say, Father, save me from the suffering. Save me from the cross. He said, no, I'm going to pray, Father, glorify your name. Glorify. This is the hour of glory. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to him. The glory of the cross raised up. Forgiveness, grace, defeat of the devil. Total defeat. Jesus bringing forgiveness. Jesus opening up. That, that well of grace. Jesus taking the wrath of God upon himself. Jesus paying the price for your sin. This is Jesus glorified. Lifted up. Glorified. The, the, the crucified glorified. And we need to... The Holy Spirit will show you the glory of the cross. It isn't just head knowledge. You know, I'm, I'm in a Catholic country and I go to Catholic churches and I get very discouraged to see a weak little Jesus forever on a cross, forever nailed and stuck on a cross. Now, I'm not denying the, the immense glory of that moment of sacrifice that is in time a moment, a timeless moment of victory. And Jesus has wounds in heaven. He never loses his woundedness. But those wounds aren't sorrowful things to be sadly pitied in some religious way. But they are glorious emblems of redemption. And the Apostle John saw them at the heart of God's throne. In that triune throne in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. But right at the heart of God's glory, right in the heart of authority, a glorified, crucified Christ. And rather than the angel saying, oh, poor Jesus, poor Jesus. Oh, they're, they're, the whole, the angels are, are worshipping. And they're saying, worthy is the Lamb. Because he has paid the price by his blood. All the nations of the world can know grace and deliverance. And this is what the Holy Spirit shows you. He shows you that your thirst for forgiveness can be met. Your thirst for fellowship and love can be met because Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sin. And that is a, a gift of the Holy Spirit to see Christ crucified, glorified. And you know, he is no longer just attached you know, he's eternally attached in the Catholic Church. And it's a very passive sort of forgiveness. You know, oh, I'm sort of forgiven up there on the cross. But you're not forgiven up there on the cross. You're forgiven inside, in your heart, now. And it's a forgiveness that is propulsed into the world. Because three days after the crucifixion, when Christ was in the tomb, he, he rose again in glory. He rose again. In glory. And he shielded his glory to show himself to Mary Magdalene. Looked like a gardener. You know, a fellow traveler to the apostles. But my goodness, Christ glorified. Reigning in heaven as John saw him. You know, from eternity, that lamb 
crucified and now glorified in resurrection. And the Holy Spirit will also show you resurrection glory. The overcoming. He will give you eyes to see beyond suffering, beyond death, into the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, death isn't the full stop on your life or the full stop on the life of humanity. You know, it is a comma, but there is a a glorious eternity for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is alive today. He's with us. And he is glorified. And when you touch some of that glory, it's the now of the kingdom touches your life. We're not fully there yet. <laughs> now, not yet. But, but the glory touches your life. And it transforms everything. It brings healing. It brings forgiveness. It brings power. Yeah, there is the power in the resurrected personality of Jesus Christ coming to live corporately within his church. Wow, Kingfisher here. You have such power. You have such an ability to transform this whole area and to transform Great Britain. How Great Britain needs transforming. How it needs to drink and to come to Jesus. Okay, so come, drink. And let me finish with the flow. Okay, flow, flow. You know, there's, a, as the scripture says, you could probably choose many scriptures that Jesus was thinking about, Old Testament scripture, when he says the scripture talks about water flowing. <laughs> there are a whole number. But I just want to give you one. You know, Ezekiel 47 talks about the river from the temple. Now, you know, you're the living temple now. <laughs> you don't have to go up to Jerusalem. You are the temple. What flows from you? You know, if I bang my thumb while mending something with a hammer, <laughs> I don't say what flows from me, but, uh, you know, what normally flows from you? And even without words, is there a joy and a, a presence and an essence of Christ flowing out from your life? Okay, and... Uh, you know, we are the temple, and Ezekiel saw river flowing from the temple. Now, this morning, I, I went, ran on a bit from the cemetery, and I ran, up, I ran up to the, what do they call it, a ford? Yeah, a ford. It's still the same word in English. I, I ran up to the ford. And, um, you know, it was just a little trickle, you know, a little trickle. And uh, they've got measurements on the side. I don't know if I'm going to put them there in faith, because it goes right up to six foot. Okay, and I remember when I was, uh, I think I was about 17 here, and there was a Mr. Evans who used to live on Park Drive, and he, um, he once went with his wife with their car, and they thought, oh, we'll go to Hale Weston, and we'll go via the Ford. And it wasn't just a little trickle, I think, when he went. It was a bit, you know, and he went in his car, tried to cross, and he got swept away. No, he didn't die. That's all right. No, you, can, you can laugh. <laughs> Maybe you can imagine Mr. Evans floating along with his wife. Just went out for a nice Sunday drive. And we ended up getting caught up in this flow of a river. And you see, I think when you look at Ezekiel, I felt a bit like Ezekiel this morning with my running shoes. Because, you know, there's this measurement. They're measuring the river. How deep? How deep is your flow? How deep is your flow? Okay, I've, I've come to Jesus, I've been drinking Jesus for so many years now. But how deep is the flow? And you see, in Ezekiel 47, it, it, he starts getting led, the man's measuring. 
And it starts off, he says, he led me through water that was ankle deep. You know, up to your ankles. Now, it was ankle deep this morning. I could have gone through. I wasn't going to get caught up in the current. I could just go my way and just go my, do my thing, ankle deep. And we have, you know, are you an ankle deep Christian? You know, you've got a bit of Holy Spirit, a bit of Jesus. But actually, I still, it's not strong enough. I can go my way. But you see, he measured off again, and it was knee-deep. Oh, if it had been knee-deep, I'd have had a bit of trouble. But I think I could have still crossed knee-deep, got enough strength to go my own way. And then he measures it off, and it comes up to the waist. Oh, dear. Flowing now. But I think I could have still pushed through, if you're strong. But then he measures again. And I'd like to, I wish this would happen to all of us, right? For me... And for the whole church. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, Son of man, do you see this? And I expect I need to see this in faith. You know, some kind of coming to Jesus and drinking. And I... And there's an overwhelming of his personality and presence and power in my life. And I cannot go my own way anymore. You know, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live. I go his way. There's an obedience. I cannot push through on my own anymore. I'm I'm caught up in the current of the Spirit. Imagine living your life like that. Being led by Jesus every day. Drawing, you know, joy from the wells of salvation. But not just a little bit of ankle deep joy. You know, the the ecstasy of knowing forgiveness and Jesus and eternal life. And a church flowing in the directions and the current of the Holy Spirit. Wow, we would turn the world upside down. And that's what probably happened at, you know, at Pentecost, you know. Great outpouring and a drinking and Jesus, you know, overflowing. And we need a a fresh overflowing into our lives. You know, I cry to God, say, God, don't let me, don't let me just go my own way. I've got so much knowledge now, I know how to do stuff, but keep me flexible, keep me floating, Lord, in, in obedience to you. May I go with your flow, Lord Jesus. So, you know, when I went up to Western this morning, I, I saw those measurements. You could go up there, and we're so far short of six foot, I tell you. <laughs> they've, they've in faith. I thought, well, even the guys there doing those measurements, they've put it up at six foot. Now, I tell you, if it ever got to six foot, watch out, little Paxton, there's a tidal wave on the way. But someone had faith to measure up to six foot. And I have a faith that although the times are going to get terrible, and we live terrible times in France, we're under such pressure from the government to compromise the word of God, and peoples have just gone so far away from truth, (laughs) and so far away from the Bible, and even the churches, you know, especially the state churches, just, just diluting everything. And yet, I still believe in God, that God wants to pour out His Holy Spirit, and He wants to... Fill people's hearts with Jesus. And it will begin with you today. Come, drink, and flow. Come, drink, and flow. But if there's one thing not to do, okay, I'm encouraging you to come, to drink, and to flow. But if there's one thing not to do, it's what we read at the beginning of the service in Jeremiah. Okay. 
And, uh, you know, when, when he says, you know, you of Jeremiah 2.13... My people have committed two sins. Jesus is saying, come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. I will satisfy you. I will satisfy your soul's thirst. But my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living waters. <gasps> that life that's in, don't, don't backslide. If you've backslidden, come back to the build. You know, that living water, open, open the wells as Isaac did. <laughs> Unplug whatever's blocked you, whatever sin. Come to the grace of the Lord Jesus. Come to the cross. See that price that is paid. Get unblocked. Get unblocked from just being lukewarm. Get unblocked. And uh, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and dug their own cisterns. You know, digging away, digging away. Oh, it's so boring, the church. I'm digging away. I've got my own little... You know, this is where I get truly, you know, truly my needs are met here. My soul is fed here. And, you know, people are watching stuff on telly. People are watching awful stuff. And it's becoming an addictive kind of pollution. People are filling their souls around us with, with awful stuff. And, and they're digging their own systems and their own ideologies and their own empty religions. And they do not hold water, okay? They have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. And I think more and more, we're going to find people who are, who are so empty. Because the things they trusted in, pleasure, materialism, you know, all sorts of screen life, is, is coming to an end. It's not working anymore. And people are finding themselves empty. And they are dry. And this is where we can come and say, well, you know, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. <laughs> if you're thirsty and those empty cisterns, you know they don't satisfy. Come to me and drink. And why don't you today smash all your, your empty cisterns? <laughs> if you've dug your own little self-life, <laughs> my little private satisfaction there, smash it. Take it to the cross. See it under God's wrath, destroyed in Christ. And come again to Jesus and drink that pure water of his personality, of the Holy Spirit coming and filling your life afresh. Don't, don't dig your systems, your old broken systems, but be a well-watered garden. Be a well-watered garden and Isaiah 58, 11, I'll, I'll end with this. Isaiah 58, 11. Okay, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. Ah, oh, you know the, 
that inner well that Jesus opens up in, in the hearts of those who believe, you know, is, is a spring that will never fail. And your garden, your inner garden, will be full of fruits, be full of flowers with perfume, and you will not know dryness or drought, but you will be a well-watered garden. And I think that kingfisher here, you're already this well-watered garden in the midst of this dry land. And uh, may people come to this well-watered garden and find salvation. So come, if you are thirsty, and we're all thirsty, but come now, come to Jesus, he satisfies. Come to the glorified, crucified. Come to the the glorious, resurrected Christ. Come, let the Holy Spirit show you all the glory of Christ now. Come and drink. Come and drink. And then flow, not just ankle deep, but flow into a life of obedience. A life where you're swimming (laughs) in the direction and current that the Holy Spirit is leading you in. Not just on Sundays, but every day being led. And you're not controlling it. You're not just controlling, you know, ankle deep. No. Swimming. Letting the Lord. And you know that's going to be such a, a wonderful, fulfilling experience to live every day with Jesus in his word and sharing in his life. So come, drink, and flow. Amen.